0: There we are.
1: It does okay. like me better than you.
0: Oh, it does. But it, it says we've been live for 17 <laughs> seconds. So something definitely happened there that we didn't
1: know. We have like two streams going, like just a few seconds <laughs> apart from each other.
0: <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. And the best part of your week, Jay's back. I, I'm here. You know, I wasn't here last week, and I got a lot of emails about how disappointed people were in the show. Um, You know, there wasn't any one person in particular they were disappointed in, um, but just a lot of general emails saying, you know, I really wish you were there. So I'm back, I'm back today for all of you because I love you. I'm back, the the chickens are back. (laughs) The chickens are back over there. They say hi as well. Heather's right over there. She says hello on the other side. Um, Yeah, and this is spilling ink. I mean, this is the one thing that all of you have been living for the past five months of quarantine, and I know it. I understand. It's all I live for, too. It really is. That and cake. Um, And I just learned that fresh eggs make the best cake. So I am excited to have some cake. Heather, could you please make some cake?
1: We we expect some Instagram pictures this week, then, from you, of all the cakes that you're making with these fresh eggs.
0: Well, she just said yeah. no. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh!
1: Well, so much is that.
0: <laughs> so, so I guess I'm going to Arnie's. Uh, yeah, so this is Spilling Ink. This is your author roundtable show where we talk about writing and cake and uh, sponsors. Cake, right? Somebody mentioned sponsors. Is this, does this show have sponsors, Katie?
1: Does it? Well, let me check.
0: I, I don't it, well I'm, I'll tell you what. I'll turn things over to Katie and to talk about the sponsor stuff.
1: It, it does, and we have one of the best sponsors possible as our first sponsor tonight. Now, we actually have two sponsors, but we'll get to the second one later because they are equally as awesome. But They're our first sponsor... Right? they are equally as important. Don't you dare because you know the boss is listening. (laughs) If you're listening, I know you are. It was his fault. (laughs) No, our first sponsor, as always, we love Joe Compton from Go Indie Now. Go Indie Now, if you haven't already heard, is the online indie artist network. They offer exciting content weekly, monthly, and seasonally. All of which highlight, support, and promote indie artists of all types. So you know we love them because that's what we are, right? We're indie authors. Well, they support indie authors and artists of all kinds. Now, you can check them out either at GoIndieNow.com. You can check them out on their Facebook page or go to their YouTube channel. Follow, like, subscribe, share. They are your go-to for all things indie. And remember, it's always time to go indie now.
0: Man, you're getting good at that too. You're almost like the micro-machines guy. Do you remember him? <laughs> oh, now, you know, I, wanna be,
1: I wanna be the end. there's more guy.
0: Yes, all right, I like it. Oh, and Derek has already chimed in to say he used to make a mean Reese's Pieces of cake. Whoa, I can't I eat that, that it because I'm allergic to peanuts, but uh, it sounds amazing, Derek, it really does. All right, so before we get uh, too off track here, I know Katie likes to, to really derail us. Uh, I do want to introduce our two guests today. Uh, we have Lachelle Red. Hi, Lachelle, How are you doing?
2: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm doing great, and hope hopefully you you don't have any internet problems here. I know that we were we were kind of going back and forth there, so hopefully everything stays connected strong. It looks pretty good now. How are you doing today, though? Oh,
3: oh. oh look at <laughs> that! You asked one too many times. Oh. I made it
0: happen. I made it happen. I did. Oh my goodness. Oh, that was my. That was like my magic that I used. Yeah. So we have one lovely guest today, <laughs> <laughs> and their name is Glenn Belgrum. How are you tonight, Glenn? I-
3: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: Okay, wonderful. Now, if I ask you one more time, will you just connect <laughs> it? Well?
3: Don't do it. Don't find <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, I love it! I love it. Am
3: I skipped a beat there when I disappeared?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh boy, that's that's bad. That's bad. I, I I know Lachelle is trying to reconnect, so hopefully she'll be able to come back here pretty quick. Um, yes, and Glenn, before we find out about you, there's another cake-related comment that popped up: cheesecake made with fresh eggs is the best thing you've ever had. And I've got to tell you guys, I am extremely hungry at this point, after all of this cake talk. Uh, so, Glenn, tell us who who are you? What do you do?
3: Ah, uh, well, um, I am a a game designer. Uh, I've been designing games for I don't know, like thirty years now, and um, just recently I shifted over into uh, writing fiction. I'm writing, I, I actually am about to launch my first, my debut um, YA fantasy novel, um, The Child of Chaos, tomorrow. So this is um, uh, launch eve for me. Exciting. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. And uh, I'm, I hope to talk more about that soon.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, it looks like uh, Lachelle is queuing back up. Hopefully she'll be here. I'm going to ask her how she's doing meetings. No, don't. Do don't, I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you were a game designer for Maybe 30 I'm years, but you don't look a day over 30. How is that possible?
3: I started really young.
0: <laughs> what, what kind of games did you work on? Are you, are you talking uh, electronic games? Are you talking board games? Are you talking video games? Right.
3: So, yeah, I was a computer game designer. Um, I started out actually in high school, uh, I was writing games for uh, um, for contests, um, and then I started writing freelance while I was still in high school. And uh, my first games were the Tandy Color Computer. Do you remember the Tandy Color Computer? I'm really dating myself.
0: No. With that, <laughs> yeah, I
3: actually I actually just did a show for based on the Tandy Color Computer. It's all it's called Coco Talk, and uh, we talked for three hours about all that stuff. They, we had a lot of fun. Um, from there, I started my own company um, called SunDog Systems. I did ran it while I was in college, and then I took a job with Legend Entertainment, and that's where I really started making sort of the commercial hits that maybe you might have even heard of, like I did um, you know, Death Gate and um, uh, Unreal Two and Wheel of Time uh, there. Um, and then I, I came to the West Coast, and I was the um, the creative director of Star Trek Online, um, and uh, Glee even, I mean, <laughs> I made a game based on Glee. Uh, I could tell you whole stories about that one. That was a lot of fun. Um, but then after all of that, um, I took a lot of my my experience working on those, um, those literary licenses like, like Death Gate and Wheel of Time and Gateway Frederick Pohl's Gateway um, and Terry Brooks and, and Xanth and all of that. And I applied that to writing my own. Um, World, uh, which is the child of chaos, and that's what's launching tomorrow. That's awesome. Lachelle, you're back.
2: Yay! I hope so. I
1: mean, we know you're doing fine.
2: (laughs) Sorry about
3: that. You don't have to say you're doing fine. We know (laughs) that's
1: the magic word. Don't say it. Yeah.
0: But, Lachelle, can you tell us a little bit about what you do?
2: I know, right? Don't do that. (laughs) Um, As far as writing goes, I um, write novellas. Horror, basically, is my favorite genre. And I also have a Wix website that um, I'm actually using to promote other indie authors. So that's something that I um, have going, and right now I kind of promote a lot of authors from Mickey Nicholson with um, Collaborative Creations, and anybody else who wants to be a part of it, you know, just zip me an email or just, you know, go to the Wix website, and it's a cup of horror is the name of it, and, um, you know, just wanted to do something to get more indie authors out there.
1: That's awesome. What kind of promotion do you assist with?
2: Um, basically it's just, just the website now, cause I just started it this past June. So usually I'll have, um, the author to send me, like if they have a press release, a picture of the book, a picture of themselves and we'll put something up on the page for them and send them the link so they can use it for promoting. And I've also, you know, put the link up on Facebook in the different groups that I'm a part of. So it's just a little something and it's free of charge. So I definitely don't charge for any of that. That's just something I wanna to do to kind of help out. That's, that's awesome.
0: Cup of Horror?
2: Yes, A Cup of Horror.
0: Okay. No, oh, that and, sounds wonderful. I, I, that sounds like the perfect place for me to go and connect with you. <laughs>
1: I was just gonna say every author wants another avenue to talk about their books or to get their, the word of their books out there. So it's an excellent service that you're providing to, to be able to share, You know, even just link sharing from a different source other than the author is so important. I, I've said it before. When an author talks about their work, it becomes white noise. But if somebody else talks about your work, people listen.
0: Well, and we just had uh, Josh uh, Joshua Pantoloresco on uh, two weeks ago now. Uh, the last time I was on, and uh, his his motto is is you know build other people up, and that will that will help to build you up. And okay. and I and I love that I really do. And I get so tired of posting about myself or my books on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And I just, I get burnt out with it because I feel like it really is white noise and people don't pay attention. And they're just like, eh, scroll past this. I see this every two days. It's boring. But if I'm able to, you know, talk up uh, Katie or Lachelle or Glenn, you know, I, maybe people listen a little bit because it's not just me shamelessly <laughs> plugging my own stuff. Um, so I like that idea, and I think that's that's fabulous, Lachelle. Thank you. Thanks. So we have uh, okay, one, one of I the the bosses here chiming in.
2: That sites that free. One thing I did notice was that there were free services that turned to pay services, and I'm like, if you're an indie author, you can't pay. You know, coming off the bat, it can be very expensive. Because I used to be able to do book giveaways on Goodreads, you know, by having contests, and all I had to do was order the books and you know mail them to the contest winners. And now they charge for that, so you it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to get your name out, you know, at a lower price or you know. So I think that you know, helping hand is something that we need to look, Cindy's.
1: And that's something that a lot of indie authors don't consider. They may look at budgeting as as a, how do I get the book produced? You know, what is my cover art going to cost? What is my interior formatting layout going to cost? What is my ebook conversion going to cost? What is my ISBN going to cost? But they don't think about after the book's produced, do you have any money left over in the marketing budget? to market the book, or are you going to have to go grassroots and and try and do it finding free outlets? And, and honestly, those tend to take a lot longer to get the word out than a lot of these pay for sites. So it it becomes a, you know, what do I do? Do I go broke advertising my book or do I take the slow route? And and authors don't always think about that ahead of time.
0: And we've had, you know, over how long has this been Katie?
1: Three years, Four, four years, four years in September,
0: four, four years. Um, and we've had so many different authors with so many different uh, marketing ideas and techniques that have worked for them. Um, and, and unfortunately, with, with the way things work, um, those techniques might not work next month type of thing. But you know, everything, we, we've had a couple of people who said they, they spend thousands and thousands of dollars um, every year on advertising, but they make huge incomes. Um, huge returns from that. But then we've had other people that that spend very little and they use all word of mouth and, and networking and newsletters, and they make a very good income from that. So it's, it's, it's strange, this is changing so rapidly, you know, you can't rely on, on buying Facebook ads or, or buying space on on Amazon or the, um, the AMS ads. Uh, you know, some of these things just don't work anymore. And so it's kind of like we're, we're all stuck in this place where we don't quite know what to do, but I still feel like, I, or at least I still believe in, in networking with other authors um, the most, I think, because, you know, especially if you have a few that are authors that are a little bit more well-known, um, that are friends of yours, that can help you to network, and I, I don't have that many of those, you know, with, with my last collection of horror stories, you know, I, I reached out to people that wrote horror, like um, Michael Brent Collins, who has been on the show, who is a very, very popular horror artist, and he was kind enough to to write me a little review and and to post it when it when it uh, went live. And those kind of things, I, I think, are really helpful for uh, the little guys. Um, I know, Glenn, you said that um, you managed to you connected with uh, Piers Anthony, who is probably the first fantasy author I've ever read. Um, actually, the the person who got me into fantasy. Um, and we're able to to get a, a plug from him for your book, and that's that's incredible. That's huge.
3: Yeah, uh, I was as I was mentioning before, I, I was floored for a week after getting that email, getting that response because not only, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had any interaction with Pierce Anthony. He he writes a lot about himself, so he sort of puts it all out there. And he is a comradent. You know, he he owns it. He knows he's a grumpy old man, and uh, and he says, you know, there's not much he likes. And so he warned me, even when I sent him his book, he said, I lose a lot of fans by telling people what I think. And so I'm like, okay, you know, it's fine. (laughs) Just, you know, if you read it, I'll be happy. Uh, And then he told me he wasn't going to have time to read it because he'd been reading too much and he had writing to do. Uh, And then uh, the next day, he said, I started reading it and it caught me and I read the whole thing and I wrote a review. And the review was amazing. I mean, it's on on my cover. I, I don't know if I... I'll just show it it's yeah, let's make you big here yeah it's right there it's this is what fantasy fiction should be by Piers Anthony but that's only one it's only one quote out of uh, an incredible review I actually have him you know in my marketing all over the place uh, and I I mean you couldn't ask for something better than that and and it was free um, but I also I have a lot of contacts because of my days uh, in that making games based on literary um, licenses, but I also, I got, and, and also game designers who also have reach in that world. Like Lee Sheldon wrote me a review um, and he was a writer, director, uh, a producer on Star, uh, Star Trek and The Next Generation. Um, I got uh, Christy Marks, who is I think best known for Gem in the Holograms, but also worked on like Conan and, and <laughs> ElfQuest and a bunch of uh, fantasy work, you know, really, really amazing uh, writer. Um, and even you know, big name game people like Cliff Lazinski and Tom Hall, who wrote you know, Unreal and Gears of War and, and Doom. And so that absolutely gave me a leg up. I mean, I'm getting attention to this book that I would not have if I didn't have that background. But to your point about, you know, about spending money versus not spending money. I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm about to launch a book. I need to start spending money on advertising. And the, the problem is where do you spend the money? You you said things change really quickly. I don't even know what they changed from, you know, and I don't know what they changed to. So I'm really worried about spending money in places that aren't really going to be effective. There are lots of classes and things out there to teach you how to do all of these advertising, but it's like, you know, it's really hard to know what to trust and what not to trust. And what you don't want to do is if you have, you know, you want to spend a little bit of money knowing it's going to be effective. There's nothing that's going to guarantee that.
1: And the problem is it's not one size fits all. What may work for one book in one genre may not work for another book, even in the same genre. Or a different one. And you never know, there's a lot of trial and error involved and you have to be very specific in where you're gonna spend your money. And you have to look at the analytics of, okay, I spent this much, did I get a return? What was the return? Is it worth it? You know, it's-
3: It's like alchemy. I mean, it's a black art. You really have to, you know, get all the pieces and figure out how to cast the right spell.
1: It absolutely is. And and you hope, you know, you cross your fingers every time you do it, that it's going to pay off. And you hope that if you spent a little bit of money that it was worth it, or if you spent a lot of money, that you will get the return.
0: Yep. Uh, Lachelle, do you uh, do you have any spe- uh, special marketing formula that you like to use for your books?
2: Right now? No, I'm not going to even lie. I just <laughs> pretty much, uh, I put faith. Once I have a book published and I put it on Amazon and I'm pretty much running through Facebook and doing it that way, I'm in a very rural area and it's kind of difficult, especially now, to kind of get out and do different types of book things or whatever library here. No, we have two, but the interest is not there. In this area, I guess is the best way to say it, because I've been to several of our different author and book reviews here, and you don't don't really get a crowd. It's it's kind of it's kind of like well, like you said, do you spend the money or or do you just kind of tuck it away and see? So that's something that's kind of difficult to maneuver for me for here. So there, I'm kind of learning about it, and that's why I said I started my own site too. Because on the very first page of a cup of horror, you'll see where I have, you know, I've kind of plugged myself, different things there.
0: Well, in there, yeah. there, there oh, oh, sorry, Katie, go ahead.
1: I was just going to mention it, and, and Jay, I know you know this site as well, but Story Origin is one of the places we talk about a lot as far as grassroots marketing efforts. Um, It involves a lot of newsletter swapping, a lot of um, creating reader magnets for your book and help building your newsletter. And it's still, I can't believe it, free to use, which surprises the heck out of me because the service that they offer is worth paying for. What, What they do is fabulous, but they're still free at this point. And so a lot of times when authors come to me and say, hey, do you know any places I can go to start spreading the word? That's usually the first place I'll send them. Because building up a newsletter is important for your grassroots, your free marketing. Um, getting into newsletter swaps with like-minded authors who are in the same genre as you is excellent for getting your book out in front of new faces um, and being in group promotions. That kind of stuff. Those are all ways that authors can start their marketing efforts without having to dump a huge amount of money in right up front.
0: Well, and there are there are other avenues as well, like. Um... I think Lashelle, you actually mentioned uh, Mickey Mickelson. Um, you know, he's a publicist. Uh, publicist uh, owns a Creative Edge publicity, and uh, I worked with Mickey for for a while there. And you know, his idea is to try to get you in front of um, as many cameras and microphones uh, as as possible. You know, get you on as many podcasts as you can. Get you on as many talk shows like this as you can. Uh, Get you in any magazines, uh, you know, print or electronics that he he can, you know, get you in front of, you know, library audiences. Um, And I I think that's great. Um, I I think that the idea is that the more people see you in your name, the more likely they are to, you know, purchase one of your books or talk to somebody about you. Um, And the problem that I see with some of this is that most of the people who are watching these shows, listening to these shows, going to those events, most of them are other authors, and other authors trying to learn a little bit more about the craft, um, about the business, uh, trying to learn from people who are a little bit more successful than themselves, um, and those authors aren't necessarily, you know, the the readers, they're not the, you know, you they are not the 10,000 people that are going to buy a copy of your book so that you can make your mortgage payment next month. Um, so it's, it's tough because I think that the publicity is, is a good thing and having people see your face and hear your voice is a good thing. Um, but it, but again, I don't know if that necessarily translates to sales either. I think if anything, it's, it's, it's good practice technique for us, um, so that when we go to things like uh, comic conventions or to do book signings or to go to a reading at a library or a bookstore, um so that we're a little bit more comfortable speaking with people, because um, that's 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 a tough thing for for a lot of people is to talk in front of people. So I don't know, Mark, marketing is one of those things that um, I've never been been able to really, get a good grip on so i basically uh, ask friends to help ask friends for reviews ask friends to share and and that's what i've got
1: one Can note I, uh, about the personal oh sorry go ahead glenn You're well, the guest. i just i there is something
3: that i wanted to 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 mention i am not affiliated with these people i'm i guess i'm gonna plug them because um i they've they've done a really good job for me um and that is uh, courtney cannon and her builders and yeah. I've, I've been on a number of, of um, Facebook groups where these people didn't even know that, that these kinds of things existed. And so it's worth it actually to, to discuss them. And Courtney Cannon, I, I like hers, especially because they're not paid. She doesn't go after, I mean, they are paid. You pay to, to get into it. But, but, it's, but a
1: she, it, it's, it's a low dollar amount. It is,
3: it's very affordable. And she doesn't pay for advertising. It's all about author shares. And but there, she gets enough of these authors to participate in these giveaways um, that you actually get a um, sort of a, a a very consistent return on what you put in. And I'll say, you know, at the time of uh, this time right now, I think it's like twenty five dollars to get into a builder. And so I built up from zero to a thousand BookBub followers doing these builders, and I think it was like three different builders, and I also built up my newsletter to um, over 2,000 people just doing those builders, and that's how I was able to get a significant number of ARC readers. Um, who, I got 90 ARC readers, people who guaranteed me that they were going to leave reviews, and now they're actually leaving reviews. And so, you know, if people are stuck and they don't know where to turn, they don't know how to get followers, they don't know how to build up their, their mailing list, something like that is a is an affordable and um, really effective way to go about it.
1: And, and for those looking, Courtney Cannon is with Fiction Atlas Press and she is absolutely wonderful. We've had her on the show before here and, and the service that she offers is wonderful because one, it's budget friendly, yep. the indie authors who don't have huge marketing budgets and two, the results do show because it is using the power of other authors sharing equally. It does get you some reach and that's, what's very important.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely swear by them at this point.
1: Now to your point, Jay, about the in-person things, um, when it comes to in-person events, th- there's a different tactic to how you engage people, especially if you're doing it at like a comic convention. Um, I, I don't like the, the used, salesman or used car salesman approach that a lot of people tend to employ when they go to events. You know, hey, you know, buy this book, shove the book in somebody's hand. When you're meeting somebody in person, you're the interesting part you become a real person to them. You're not just a name on a book. So the idea is to build a rapport with them, to talk about things that interest the both of you. And that that shared interest is what gets people interested in your work. Because again, you saying, Hey, I've got the greatest book out there is white noise. So you want to give them a reason to actually pay attention.
3: I was so disappointed um, because of COVID. I had a launch party set up. I was going to get a band. It was within this, wonderful library in Walnut Creek, has two stories, had a coffee bar, and it was wonderful. And they were excited about it. They wanted me there. And I don't get to do any of that. And so I love the idea of signings. I love the idea of going out and talking to people. I did it, you know, when I was a game designer, I went to, to E3 and, uh, and uh, you know, got up on stage and chatted with people. I haven't done anything like that for a while, so I'm excited to get back on, into the saddle. But now I can't, I can't do any
1: of that stuff. That's hit us all pretty hard. I mean, summertime, at least for me is is convention season and I look forward to it. And like Phoenix Comic-Con is like the start of my season and I'm so excited to go to it and nothing happened this year. And so I'm sitting on stockpiles of books that I had ordered to do convention season and really can't do anything with them and i'm hoping and i'm praying because i i did one of those options where you move to the next year they save your spot i'm hoping by next year we'll be able to do them because i miss that interaction it's not only um exciting as you know going and being there but it's so inspiring to connect with other people and you get that shared interest and it creates the inspiration for more you
3: know i think uh, obviously everybody wants to, to try to make a little bit of money at this, but certainly that can't be the, the primary motivation for any of us, because this is not just that lucrative of, of a profession being an indie author. And so I would say that holding your own book and being able to hand it to someone else who really wants it, those are the two things you really get out of this profession. And not being able to do the second one is a huge downside.
1: My, my favorite moment at a convention is when I make the sale and they go, you sign it and I'm like yes I will. Oh my god. <laughs> no,
3: no, I'm not going to sign
2: it. <laughs> nah, sold it too bad.
3: <laughs> you want to get into this other line for that.
1: <laughs> that, is, that is honestly it's my favorite moment because yeah. I feel important and special right there. They actually want me to sign it. Oh my god. And yeah. And I love that.
0: Uh, Lachelle, you've been you've been on the show before. Um, since we're talking about kind of marketing and in- person stuff uh, and well this isn't really in person I guess but any, anyhow as close as we can get this year uh, but after you were on the show last time, did you find uh, was there any more interest in your in your work after that?
2: I actually sold a couple of books I was surprised because uh, you know sometimes I just look up and I had, I got a um, A check from Amazon. I was like, wow, they did a deposit. It wasn't that much, guys. But still, it was like, ooh, me and this dollar and 50 cents are going to go chill out somewhere. (laughs) But it's all good, you know? And I sit there and I was like, well, I wonder which book was it? Because you always wait for somebody to post a review and you're like, it's no telling and I've got several works on Amazon. So I've been kind of just going through each one to see what's been the most recent things said about them. So that's kind of, but that was good. I like that. And to um, expound on something that Katie said, COVID did shut down some of my efforts I wanted this summer. There's a horror convention that goes on not too far from me in Gainesville and I was looking at being on one of their like round table things and COVID shut it down. So that kind of killed that for me. And the other um, Comic Con we had here, we had it right before COVID. And kind of wanted to get a, you know, I'm still working on how, you, you know, get a feel for it. And I'm a little chicken too about, you know, meeting people. I just am. But I was like, well, maybe next year I'll be able to, but it looks like COVID might be around for a while.
1: The the beauty of Comic-Con is people literally wear their interest on their their person and you can pick out people who have similar interests to you and you can engage them based on that shared interest and it's less like trying to sell them and it's more like conversation, you know, hey, that is an awesome costume. How did you put that together? Who's your favorite character on this show? And it becomes a conversation rather than a sales tactic.
2: Exactly. And that's something that kind of turns you off, like you said. This is my book. You're like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, (laughs) You know, know, especially if someone is dressed a little funky and they're promoting something. One character that my daughter and I love are Bastille the butler. So if you get a chance to look that up, we love that costume. It's amazing. But instead of trying to sell books to go back to what you said, you see this person in this costume and you're like, wow. And that kind of pulls you in because it's really amazing when you go and see it. We were like, what is he? He's a half dead wolf thing. It's it's amazing.
1: <laughs> I've been known to chase people down to get pictures with them when they have an amazing costume. And and Jay, I'm, you've seen my Instagram when I go to Comic-Cons. It's like two days straight of all the cool costumes I've seen, all the cool people I've seen. It's not about my books. It's all about what I'm seeing and what I'm doing at the convention because that's the fun part.
0: Yeah. It, it looks amazing. and. I'll I'll tell you what, when they open back up again, I've totally got to come do Phoenix with you.
1: Someday. come (laughs) with us. We have a good time, well, we, we band together. We've created the League of Fantasy Authors where it's a bunch of friends who all write within the fantasy genre and we make our booth cheaper by sharing. So it cuts our initial costs because we all know booths can be expensive, hotels can be expensive. That cuts into the ability to make money at these events. So by all of us sharing, we cut down on the cost and we've also got people who are always there at the booth. So you can wander, you can go off and have fun. You can really enjoy the event as well as get your work out there.
3: I'm sold. <laughs> yep.
1: Next That's year when it comes back idea. <laughs> I'm like, shoot hey, over here to Florida, please. <laughs> <laughs> And again, that, that all ties into the networking with other authors. When you create those connections with other authors, you can do these kind of things. Cool. And Jay, you're getting stuffed in a duffel bag if I have to get you to get down there. <laughs> <laughs> we will sneak you in. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, I'll tell you what, though, I mean, with the weather you guys have out there, it might be better to come out this way.
1: Uh. Yeah. There's no going outside right now. It's it's brutal.
0: Yeah. How's your uh, how's your puppy doing? Going outside for walks?
1: Um, we walk her at eight o'clock, and I usually walk her between midnight and two a.m. before I go to bed. Wow. Because otherwise, it's it's too hot. I mean, it, it's you know in the hundred and teens every single day. So there's no way I'm gonna walk her. Her poor her poor paws would burn up on the concrete. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ugh, yeah, that's brutal. That is yeah. terrible. Uh, where where are you, Glenn? In the country?
1: I'm
3: in the East Bay, right outside San Francisco.
0: Oh, that that's right. We talked about that. That's right. And you said it's uh it's pretty darn hot out there too, right?
3: Yeah, we normally have pretty even weather. I mean, we actually have uh, seasons here where San Francisco doesn't. They pretty much have you know one temperature year round. Um, but here we actually have kind of a winter and kind of a summer. But it's but it's never been this hot. I mean, we're getting up to like 107 uh, this week.
1: And when you're not equipped for that that heat, it's even worse.
3: Yep.
0: Absolutely. Oh. oh. Yeah. And I complain about the the 90 degree days we've been having, but that's nothing compared to out where you guys are. Well, LaShelle, you're probably, it's probably pretty hot down there
3: too, isn't
2: it? Yeah, but not 117. <laughs> that's like well, 100,
3: 107, not 117. <laughs> that, <that's laughs>
2: 107, Go I start cooking outside. <laughs> yeah but still that's bad
1: yeah it's <laughs> hot
2: really bad yeah we're in florida and we get like 99 i'm like you know when it goes down to 98 we're like oh god that's cool so <laughs> it's here, but it's nothing like that nothing that, it doesn't seem yeah to us we can be like oh it's hot it's hot but when you look out and see everybody in the hundreds we we haven't hit the triple digits luckily we don't have any
3: humidity. That makes it a
2: lot that's, better. That's what we do have now. Yeah, can't I can't stand that. Yeah, you walk out, it's like you're drowning in Right. Heat. You're suffocating, <laughs> but yeah. That's why there's air conditioners and introverts like me stay home. And this is the time to be
1: staying home too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you got no choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of horrible things, Michelle, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about writing horror? And you're, you're I know that we've talked about this before, but um, tell tell us a little bit about why you write horror and uh, what kind of horror you write.
2: Horror is just fun for me, and I get a lot of weird eyebrows when I when I say that to most people. You'd be su- I'm always surprised at the number of people who are just terrified of horror. But horror started off when I was little, and you know, just watching these great stories, you know, that were had some type of horror theme or a monster in them. And I I love a good monster story. I love a good ghost Mm -hmm. story. And I've always loved well-told stories. So when you put that and mix that with horror on the big screen, you got me. You know, that was just it. So I just picked up a pen one day because I used to read a lot of Stephen King, And one day I was like, you know, I've got a pretty good imagination. You know, something will be in my head for a little bit. And I just started writing it down. And that's pretty much where it comes from, you know, and you just I like to watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of horror on television so much that my family is pretty much they don't go anywhere near my Netflix page. So it's because they know nothing family is going to come up at all. (laughs) The only thing that's going to come up is blood, guts and massacres. That's it. (laughs) So I just um. You know, that's just you know the things I like, and sometimes I notice from going through a bad patch in life, I can pick up a pen and make it feel a little better by killing off the people I don't like. So, oh uh, so yes,
1: catharsis.
0: <laughs> uh, so, what type of what type of horror do you do you write? Because you know we we've, it is is actually kind of a, a wide range. You know, you've got the the more Stephen King type horror, which is kind of a, a little bit more of a, a long buildup and then it really messes with your head. But, you know, there's also the, the slasher horror or the, the horror that's a little bit more sci-fi based. Uh, uh, what what What's yours like?
2: I like, since I write novellas, I have to get the story out there to you real quick. So mostly I will do monsters. I love monster horror. I like to play with the stories of um, any type of creature and play with them. I love creature horror. I also love horror where the main character just kinda goes askew and you don't expect it. So that could be a form of slasher, just depending. I had once written a short story where this couple, this lady ends up meeting a guy and he's actually a serial killer. He asks her on a date and it turns out she's a serial killer too. So you kinda have to figure out which one's gonna make it out alive. So I thought that was a lot of fun, and um, I like to play around with um, stories that have already been told and kind of put a different twist on them. You know, I like to do that sort of thing. So I will take a werewolf tale and then make it into something that I wanna, that I think would be interesting. So I just kind of go. I'm pretty much a wide range of whatever I think is out there. But yeah, that's I just play with a little bit of everything.
0: How many uh, novellas do you have out now?
2: About nine or 10. That's awesome. And they're all on Amazon. So
1: okay. thank you. I love the idea <laughs> of taking creatures and twisting them into something unexpected. Because we do have tropes that we, we kind of expect when you say werewolf, you kind of know what you're going to get. But when you get something that's not that, it's still super satisfying, But but it's that new angle that makes it even better.
2: What I like, I mean, I just and those to me, those stories they were classic and they were told well. Some of them, you know, you get some of the newer horrors like, okay, you sit there and you watch it and you go, yeah, no, I could have done that one, yeah, I didn't get that too much, or oh, what was that?
1: modern horror seems more about the jump scare these days and and the extreme loud noises rather than in the past you know going back to the 80s where it was more the psychological thriller where you know the bad guy didn't have to run after you he'd get you anyways
3: i don't remember who said this but i heard that there's a difference between horror and dread and dread is actually more powerful than horror yeah for sure
0: well and if you look at uh but one of one of my my favorite uh, you know monster monster films of the past few years was uh, um, a quiet place the uh, and I, I know I've mentioned it on here before but because you you think it's going to be you know just a monster movie but it, it's a lot more than that there's a lot of that dread um there's there's a lot of that suspense that really builds up and by the end you're wound really really tight um and just you know great acting great writing all around and I think we need more more movies like that where it's not about that one time okay i'm gonna scare him by you know something loud happening or somebody jumping out of a closet but i'm really going to build a great story that's going to stick with someone and mess with their head for the next week and and that's the kind of horror that i like even though
3: you know it torments me and also a, a horrible thing is even more horrible if it happens to a character you care about
1: yeah. Oh, heartbreaking. Yes.
0: Yes, and Stephen King is uh, a was, was one of my my original oh, horror yeah. favorites, and he was he was great at that. You know, making you think that everything was going to be just fine with this one character that you cared about, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> so even
1: going not into the be... fantasy, uh, George R. R. Martin did that with his Game of Thrones series. You uh, never knew who was going to make it out alive because everyone had a chance to die, and some deserved it, and some didn't. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 And that's uh well and and you did that's the kind of ahead. thing too. They those oh, sorry, go ahead, Lashelle.
2: No, I was just saying you just didn't get attached. You could not get attached. Yeah. To his well, characters and, and that was great cuz you turned the end when you turned <laughs> in, you were like, okay, let's see if my character makes it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a episode of Survivor.
0: Well, and, and, and that was that was also a lot of people's complaints though too is they they couldn't really you couldn't get attached to a character you couldn't have a favorite character and uh, you know people gave him a hard time about that but you know okay so he's made millions of dollars so that doesn't matter right uh, but uh, but yeah you know and that's one of those things if there is a unjust death or a torture of an innocent person, those are kind of my two triggers that really, really bother me. You know, if there's a movie that, you know, the good guy is just being tortured for for no reason or a child is being tortured. Oh, it's so difficult for me to watch. And that's the type of horror that I I don't like to read or, or watch because it it's just those are the, the my triggers. You know, I don't have that many of them, but, you know, I think that we all have those things that it's like, it's just something that you don't want to see or read because it really hits home for you.
3: You have children, you have children right? I, I do, I have four. I think as soon as you have children, you become a lot more sensitive to stuff like that. Yeah, I think so too.
0: I think so too. Because my, my own kids, um, and three of them are adults now, um, you know, they'll they'll watch shows with us and not be bothered at all by you know sort of the, the human the human form and I'm yeah. like, okay. Just wait until you've got a five-year-old kid at home. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Glenn, could you uh, tell us all about Child of Chaos?
3: Uh, so it's a novel that has been 20 years in the making. I actually came up with the idea um, the night before I had to do a presentation to to pitch a game to a publisher. It was actually Wheel of Time. They wanted the game, but they didn't like the license. And so I had to come up with a premise for it the night before I presented. And I came up with this and and I pitched and we ended up going with a different company who actually liked Wheel of Time. So we ended up publishing Wheel of Time. But that always stuck in my head. I really liked the premise. And uh, and then when it came time to do another game, I started thinking about it and I realized it's not a game. It's honestly, it's a novel. It's a story that I really need to tell. And it took me a long time to be able to, um, have the time to tell that story, um, and so it's only in the last few years I've really sort of been able to edit and get it to the point where um, where I, I knew it, w- it was ready to go. Um, but it's a story I would say um, if I had to, it's it's a it's slightly different from other fantasy stories. I, I the thing that engaged me was that it's not about good versus evil, and in fact the tagline for the the um, the story used to be. Um, it doesn't matter if you're good or evil, you just have to be something. Um, because the idea was order is broken up into these, um, many different religions, these many different temples. And each one has a different aspect of order. Good and evil are just two of the different aspects of of order. Um, and so if you're with them, if you are, if you have a calling or what I say, a longing for one of them, then you're part of the priest class and you're, you're good. You're golden. Everybody else, they're called faithless. And they're like serfs, they're supporting the whole civilization. So the priests are running everything. But there is this thing that they've locked away called chaos that hasn't been part of their society for thousands of years. And yet that's why society is never moving forward. Because chaos is not just about randomness, it's about creativity. It's about things changing and order doesn't like that. And so this story talks about a couple of people who have a real affinity for chaos and the problems that that causes. I like it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's
3: it, it's a story and a world um, that has been like in my head for a long time, and it's it's for me. I found it really compelling, and it seems like people are are really digging it. not Not just the story, but the world. And the problem is, I kind of blow up the world at the end of the of the book. I won't give too much away, but it changes. Everything changes really drastically, and so I'm writing a prequel. Um about one of the characters that people really attach to in this book, um, it's called uh, a Game of War. And uh, it's about Dantes, a priest of war uh, in this book. And it's I really love it. I love that story too, but I, it also gives me another chance to play in this world as it stands before I blow it up. I got lots of plans for after it gets blown up, but I love it as it as it as it is. so um, I'm excited to to present that book too.
1: All right, tough question for you. Since this is a first book and obviously what can become a series, and you said it took a long time to write the first book, what timeline are you thinking about before you get your next book out? Because ravenous readers will want that book out immediately.
3: So I've heard kind of different things about expected schedules for writing. Certainly it's not gonna take me 20 years. I, cert- I hope it doesn't take me 20 years <laughs> to write my next book. Um, I'm I'm actually pretty certain I'm gonna be releasing the prequel within 2021. Um, I'm about, I'd say, uh, two thirds of the way through the, the first draft of that book. Um, but I've heard, you know, indie, indie writers are kind of, they feel the pressure to release like a novel a month. And I, I, <laughs> I can't even understand that. I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, I go through a lot of um, iteration uh, on the, the stuff that I write. And to the point where if I wrote it in a month, you would get my first draft and it would probably not be what I'm prepared to, to show anybody. And I'm not even sure I could do it. I mean, I would have to force myself to write a lot every day just to get to that point. So I kind of think that I know I can do a novel in a year. I, I know that. Um, I don't know if I could if I could squeeze that. And if I felt it necessary to squeeze it in order to make a living at this, then I would probably like it a lot less. I would like the whole profession a lot less. And then it would reflect in my work. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow trends. I don't want to write to you know market trends. I want to write the stories that I feel the need to tell. And I want to do. Uh-oh.
0: Glenn, come back to us. Come back to us, Glenn. <laughs> oh no.
1: Yes, a lot of indie authors do feel the need once they get on the treadmill to keep going and going and going and going as fast as possible to maintain readership. Uh, A book a month is not something you can keep up for any length of time. And if you're doing a book a month, you are sacrificing quality for quantity. Um,
0: That's another one of those things though, Katie, that's just like any other uh, marketing idea. You know, when you look at the earlier days of the the 50 books to, to 20k, um they're they're talking about that that rapid release of you know following the market releasing it immediately releasing it immediately and a lot of people made a lot of money doing that um however i i do think things are changing a little bit and and i i think that uh, that sacrifice in quality has has
1: maybe hurt some people well the 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 point that created this expectation of continuing to release so quickly has to do with the fact that there are more than a thousand books published every day. And so when you're competing against a market that is constantly being flooded with other books, to be able to stay on top, you do have to kind of keep your head above water. And so that's where that people feel like they have to do it the keeping your head above water doesn't necessarily mean having to have a book out every month or every two months, but it does mean keeping in the public eye, not out of sight, out of mind. And that goes towards your marketing efforts, whether it's the newsletters, whether it's the author swaps, whether it's paid advertising, that's how you keep your book in front of people and fresh while you take your time to write the book in as good a quality as you possibly can. So there's a bit of, you know, practice in there and and figuring out what actually works. But yes, you should keep to some reasonable expectation of release because if you look at what George R. R. Martin, everyone hates him for taking how long to write the next book, eventually your fans will turn on you.
0: But again, though, when you're multi -multi multi-millionaire, I don't think he cares at all, (laughs) you know? I mean, when you get to that point.
1: That the creative person that's there, not the millionaire, but the creative person that's there, still wants to keep his readers happy.
0: I mean, you, you look at um, look at Stephen King. You know, he wrote uh, you know Gunslinger, Drawing of the Three, Wastelands. Then he wrote, "Wait, yes. I'm just going to wait for 20 years before I actually give you Wizard of Glass." And, uh, and people ragged on him so hard, but at the same time, he released many, many books in the, in the meantime, you know, many wonderful books. Um, Hey, you're back.
3: Yeah. I, I didn't think I was going to be the one with technical problems. Um, evidently we just had a power outage. It's too hot. Oh, so no. Everyone's running oh, no. their, their air conditioners. And so they just shut down our power rolling oh, my God. out or something, but oh, so no. I'm on my phone, at least my phone still works.
0: Well, we, uh, or not we, but I, I wanted to give you uh, props, too, before we move off the, the subject um, with a the, with the prequel, prequel uh, so that you could explore the, the character people really enjoyed. And that's something that I think um, ties right back to gaming uh, in a big way, because I, I think that, uh, you know, following up on individual characters is something that people who enjoy gaming are really into and people who enjoy fantasy and sci-fi are really into um, because they, they want to dive deep and go down, down, down that rabbit hole. So I think that that's a really good move for you, um, you know, as far as your career in writing.
3: One of the comments I got was that people really enjoyed the world and they wanted more than I was, um, than I gave them in one book. And so, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is because there is a whole... Um, relationship there that I wanted to show inside the society that I do. I do talk about that in, in um, the child of chaos, but I don't really get into as much depth as I, I I knew I needed to. And so the prequel allows me to explore that. And so the people who love the world, I think will really enjoy um, the prequel. That's excellent.
1: So you have any thoughts on this fast to market treadmill?
3: Uh, me? I, I didn't get your answer. I was actually really, looking forward to hearing what you were saying as I was trying to reconnect. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I, I, I laid out my position on Fast to Market. It's like, you know, it, it depends on why you're doing it, I suppose. Um, you know, what do you want to get out of it? And I think my goals are different than other people's goals in writing rapidly and getting out to market. I do think that when it's ready, you should go. And I think I didn't do that for Child of Chaos. I think I waited longer than I needed to. Um, because I was just not, I wasn't, I always felt it could be better. And, and for, you know, when you make computer games, there's always one more bug to kill. And uh, I was perfectionist. I, I did not want to ship until I knew it was ready. And so it was really hard for me to let those go and for books. And especially cause you know, book is all you, you don't have a team there that's sort of supporting you or building you up. It's, it's your words there. And so it's, if someone reads it and they don't like it, it's on your shoulders. And so I wanted to make sure it was a best representation for of me and I think I should have I should have sort of bit the bullet and gone forward before I did.
1: Sometimes uh, perfect is the enemy of good.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And so so anyway, I'm next book, I'm not going to I am going to get it out there faster because I think people like my writing now. I I didn't know. <laughs> I wasn't sure, but I think now I'm pretty sure.
0: Lachelle, what do you think uh, about this fast-release idea?
2: Well, I agree with take your time, because like like it was stated before, you think you get too much into, oh, I gotta do a book, I gotta do a book, and you're gonna sacrifice the quality, the quality of the storytelling the quality of the writing. I think that, you know, persons should, you know, writing is a time taker. Writing is something that it's a craft and you have to take that time that's necessary to make it work.
0: I agree completely. And that's not only because I'm a super slow writer, but because <laughs> I, like, I like reading quality material. Um, I'm actually co-writing a book right now and uh, we have a working title now at last. Um, I think our, our title is going to be Hollow or The Hollow. It's kind of a uh, paranormal thriller slash horror type thing. I don't know, Rebecca. You can uh, correct me if you if you want to on that. But uh, but it's it's been a lot of fun and it actually, you know, Glenn, you just said you know when you're when you're writing a book, you're you're kind of all on your own. It's all on you. But I feel like I have. As a, as a co-author, I, I feel like I have a partner, somebody to help me with this. And, and it's actually really a cool feeling. It's the first time I've done this. So um, it's nice to have someone to support you and to and to help you with your ideas and and uh, give Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, she's answering me. Hollow supernatural horror. Yes. Um, but anyhow, it, it's really great to have a to have a partner. I think that's uh awesome. I I don't think that everyone can write like that, but it's been good so far. We haven't had any clashes yet. So.
1: Yeah, writing partnerships are, are a relationship. So not all of them work out well. Some of them are beautiful. So it's good that you guys are working out. I can't wait to hear more about this book.
0: I think it's going to be pretty cool. It's uh, you know, it's it's my kind of horror where it's. Sorry, you guys can probably hear the dogs barking. I just tuned it out at this point. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of it is based on actual events. Um, this is a, one of our very best friends is kind of a... Um, yes, my partner is so amazing, Rebecca. Uh, one of my very best friends is is kind of a magnet for paranormal activity in her life. And so she has experienced just some really wild stuff. and. You know, sent me some accounts of the things that she's gone through, and I've taken these and and kind of created this um, paranormal structure out of them. And so then now we're we're writing the the story within that. And so it's going to be it's going to be a really cool thing. I think I think that people will enjoy it a, a great deal. What about you, Katie? What are you writing?
1: I am working on the fifth Asset Series book right now, and I actually this week. I finally got writing time. And and I'm normally a person who writes a thousand words a day, but lately because life has taken drastic turns, I haven't had my typical writing time. So it's been almost a month that I haven't been able to write anything. And I made a post about it on Facebook where it really affects me when I can't write. I was getting really grumpy. I was getting short with people. And just this week finding that time to write, there was a noticeable change in my attitude So I I needed the creative outlet as a a way for me to just, you know, decompress a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Lachelle, what are you working on right now? Do you have any new releases coming up?
2: No new releases. I'm actually working on a Medusa-type chronicle. And what I've done is taken the original Medusa story and... Twisted it a little bit, like I like to do. And right now, she's just in New Orleans. (laughs) That's as far as I've gotten, but um, she's no longer, you know, in the underworld anymore. She's out and she's trying to wreak havoc on those who, you know, did her wrong. But she's doing it. She's waking up in a different time period. So I'm kind of working on that right now
1: medusa is such a fun character to work oh, with
0: my god one of one of my favorite pictures is the um um the picture of the medusa statue and it's a uh, nude medusa very very proud holding holding some guy's head and i'm like yes i love this because if you know the story of medusa it's it's total yeah. crap uh, <laughs> But, so anyhow, I want to see Medusa exacting her revenge.
1: <laughs> yeah, she got wronged in so many ways, so yeah, to see her get hers. <laughs> well,
0: be, before, we, uh, before we wrap up tonight, I do want to plug one of my own works. And um, it's a short story called Echoes. It's not a horror story at all. It, it's kind of a, you know, just an emotional drama type of thing. It's It's, you know, only a handful of pages. It's two dollars on the Three Furies Press website or on Amazon, and we're donating everything that that book raises to um, to jail support and to support protesters who are out there fighting against the injustices in our country right now. So I would really appreciate it if you at least take a look at that. You know, it's it's a great cause. It's only two bucks, and it'll give you something to read for the evening. So that's what I got.
1: All right, and before we go, we should also give a shout out to our second sponsor, who is just as important as the first, Jay. <laughs>
0: I'm a sponsor now?
1: No, but you made the comment earlier. So I had to I'm the new sponsor,
0: guys. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you're welcome for the sponsorship.
1: All right, for our real sponsor, who is always here, not only is she... A friend of the show, but she's also watching every single episode and commenting on every episode, so she is just as much a part of the show as a, as we are. Miss Rebecca Jonesy, who is the author of realistic fantasies, both sexy and killer, and we'll make sure that her link as well as the links for Go and D Now and our guests, of course, are in the show notes at the end of the show. You can find them on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. And as always, we will be back next week with more people to talk to. Uh, more guests to introduce you to, and more of Jay being Jay. (laughs) Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you next week.
2: Good night.